Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. If you haven't been uh, with us over the past three weeks, uh, we're actually in the third and final message of, uh, of a little message series in which we are talking about this, this word right here. Let's all say it together. Generous. I think that this is a word that most of us, if we're honest and had a show of hands, most of us would say that is a word that I would love to describe me. And I think it's a word that you would love to describe you when the, the people who are closest to you, who know you best would say, man, that person is so generous. And, and this is also something that I would hope and I would love to, to have happen where when people hear about Pathway Church, this community of people, uh, that they would say Pathway is a generous church. And the beautiful thing about this word is that we know, as we've been learning the last couple of weeks, that this is who God is. He is generous. And He gives good things. And He is the one who provides us with everything that we need. And He has given us His first and best. And so when we become more of this, we actually become more like our Heavenly Father, which I think is, is, is really, really helpful. Now, the tension we've been wrestling with over the past couple Sundays is really this idea that most of us, as we said, want to be generous, but sometimes um, we're not sure how to be. Sometimes we're not sure what our next step is. Sometimes we feel like we can't be. We talked about last week about how sometimes we want to give and help others, but we feel like we don't have the resources to do it. Or we want to show up, but we don't have the, the time in our schedule. So there's a desire to be generous. And I sang a song in the first, first week of the series, If I Had a Million Dollars. It was in the wrong key, but you got the idea. If I had a million dollars, I would be able to help everybody. If I had a million dollars, I'd volunteer. If I had a million dollars, I'd buy that person, you know, in my family who's in such a hard time a car you know i would do all these things if i had a million dollars but unfortunately most of us don't have a million dollars lying around and and so we feel like we can't be generous and today as we kind of close up this series i really want to sort of debunk that myth i I want you to see that you you can be generous and that actually the best way to be generous is to start in small ways and allow your generosity to build the good news that i want to talk about today is this that generosity can be developed that no matter where you're at in your journey, and I'm not just talking about money, uh, wherever you're at in your generosity journey, maybe you're somebody who's lived primarily for themselves and spent all of your resources on yourself. And so maybe for you, you're just getting started and it's this, it's a big challenge to just think about others first, but, but that's, that's, that's your starting place. And the good news is it, it can be developed. So in other words, a month from now, you could be a more generous person than you are now which is awesome. That's good news. A year from now, you can be a more generous person than you are now. Generous with your time, generous with your words, generous with your resources. And so the goal, I think for us, as we're going through the series is really to think about what is generosity and how do we become more generous? How do we develop it as individuals? And how do we develop generosity as a church? The the text that we've been looking at each week of the series is found in first Timothy. Paul writes these words to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. And he says this, he says, as for the rich in this present age, and each week I've made a point to stop there and say, guys, that's us. I I know most of us like, I don't have a yacht. I'm not the rich of this world. But, you know, when we're comparing ourselves with most of the people on the planet, we're in the top 5% middle class Canadians, the rich in this present age, he says, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud and arrogant like, oh, I have a good job because I work hard and I have a house because I, you know, I've worked really hard for it. And maybe that's true. I'm sure you have worked hard, but if you were born in another country and worked hard, you may not have any of the things you have. And so, so much of what we have is a gift from God. That's so important that we don't become proud and arrogant and that we don't set our hope on the uncertainty of riches, that we don't begin to think, well, I'm secure because I have an RRSP. I'm secure because I have a home. I'm secure because I have my health. All of these things can be taken from us and our security is not found in our stuff. 
and it's not found in our ability. It actually needs to be found on God, which is what he goes next. That, that we should trust in God who richly provides everything to enjoy. If you're new to church and you're wondering, what does the Bible say about money? God wants my money. No, as we said in previous weeks, God actually wants your heart because your money follows your heart. And if he has your heart, then your resources will follow because he has your heart. And what we would understand, if we wanted to really understand what the Bible teaches about money, we would understand it through the lens of stewardship. Everything we have belongs to God. Our time, our ability, our resource, our family, all of our stuff belongs to him, and we must manage what he gives us. And so, Paul gives some practical instruction on what it means to be generous, and he says this, they are to do good. You say, Pastor, I don't have any money to give. Great, do this. Just do good, wherever you can. To be rich in good works. Like, I don't have a lot of free time. Just do something to help somebody. To be generous and ready to share. And this is a great definition for what it looks like to be generous. And so, um, today what I want to do is I want to share with you one additional principle. Okay? And a principle is a guiding truth. Now, there are lots of things that are true. For example, a hundred years ago, it was probably true that to travel from Peterborough to Toronto would be a multi-day journey, right? With many stops along the way on horseback or walking. So it was true that it was a multi-day journey. Is that true today? No, because we have vehicles, right? So, so that distance is, is changed. The distance is the same, sorry. The, the time it takes is changed. Here's the thing about principles, though. Principles are guiding truths. They're actually underneath, and they're always the same. And so what I mean by that is like when you have a principle, it works 2,000 years ago and it works today. It works in Canada. It works in South Africa. It works in Australia. It works in China. Principles are, are underneath and, and they always work. Does that make sense? So what I was hoping to do through this series is not stand up here and tell you how to manage your money as if I'm qualified. I'm not a financial planner, manager. I'm a pastor. My goal was to share with you biblical principles principles that if you put them in place in your life will run on whatever your budget is whatever your job is whatever your situation they'll always work and they'll always move you in the direction of generosity so let's talk about the two that we have been looking at the last and first week we talked about this the principle of first and best and we learned that because god gave his first and best to us and that everything we have comes from him it is right that we honor him with our first and our best now i said this in week one every single one of us gives our first and best to someone or something. The question is, who and what gets it? It should be God. And you have, I'm not going to stand here and tell you what this means. You have to decide for yourself. What does it mean for me to give God my first and my best? And when you do that consistently, you'll be blessed and you'll increase in generosity. It's a principle. The second principle we looked at last week, the principle of margin. And we said this, God actually wants you to have space in your life. Space. That means he doesn't want you to spend every dollar that comes in. He wants you to have margin. He doesn't want you to spend every hour you have in the day. He wants you to have margin, rest, availability to be able to help others, to give to others. And that all comes through margin. Margin, we learned last week, is the key to financial freedom. And it's the key to generosity. If you don't have margin, you can't share what you have. If you don't have margin, you can't give and be generous. Today, as we wrap up the series, I want to spend a few moments talking about another principle that you've all probably experienced in your life. And it's what I'm going to call the principle of momentum. Everybody say that with me. Momentum. Now, you know what momentum is, right? Some of you may have studied physics. I have not. Uh, But I do know that there is a mathematical formula for momentum. 
Uh, momentum, I think, is symbolized with a P. And momentum is calculated mass multiplied by velocity. Okay, maybe a simpler definition that we could use today rather than using formulas is to say this. That momentum is mass in motion. Okay, so I've got this rolling cart up here that I'm using as a pulpit. It has wheels. Does this rolling cart have any momentum? Why not? It's sitting still. It's not moving, right? So there's no momentum. It's sitting still. Some of you would have learned in school uh, Newton's uh, laws of motion. And the first law of motion, I'll, I'll try to recite it, but it goes something like this. An object at rest will stay at rest unless it's been acted upon. Unless I, if I push it, it'll move. But if I don't, it'll still be here 100 years from now. Just sitting there. And the other part of this law is that an object in motion, if I push it, will stay in motion again unless acted upon. So we've got uh, the friction coefficient of the carpet here. I'm trying to be sound math nerdy, but it's not working. Um, so the friction is slowing it down, but if, if we were in outer space and I gave that a push, it would continue in a straight line at the same speed forever, okay? So an object in motion stays in motion. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes the hardest thing when it comes to momentum is getting started. Have you noticed this? Like, it takes more force for me to push this and get it started. Once it's rolling, it actually gets easy to push. And, and this is true in our lives, because this is a, a principle of momentum, that the hardest thing for you and I to do is to get started with anything. Picture a Saturday morning, and you're watching Netflix, you found a great show that you love, and you're, you're just sitting there, and you've got the Cheetos, and the dust has fallen down your shirt, and you're just enjoying this moment. But you know that you have this to-do list of things, like you've got dishes, and, and you've got laundry to do, and you've got yard work, and you've got to do some returns you know, at, at Winners. That's a staple around our place. So you've got all these things you've got to run. Go to the Goodwill store and get rid of those bags that have been in your, in your, in your front entrance for a week. And so you've got all this stuff to do. But you're just enjoying it. It's like next episode. It's so tempting. You're just sitting there eating the cheesies. And, and, and you know, the hardest part is to get moving. But have you ever experienced this? When you do decide, you finally like, oh, get off the couch and put on some clothes. And then you, you get into the kitchen and you get those dishes done and the, it's looking all nice. And you're like, oh, yeah, you feel pretty good. And then you put some laundry in and you're folding some stuff over here. And then next thing you know, you're, you're getting all these things done and you're running your errands and you pick up a coffee. And it's just like you're, once you get moving, you get momentum and the momentum carries you. I've heard it said, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And it's true. It's true because if somebody's just sitting around resting, you're like, hey, can you help me with something? I'm like, yeah, sure. Three hours later, they haven't done anything. And if you find somebody who's got their to-do list and they're running around doing something, you're like, hey, can you do that? And they're like, yep, just a second. Here you go. And they just keep moving. Why? Because they're actually running on momentum. And this is true in life. We've all experienced it. But this is also true of our generosity, right? Because sometimes we're like, oh, well, someday I'm going to be generous. Someday when I retire and I have all this free time, I'm going to give away all my time. But the, the problem with that is, is that um, if we really want to leverage this principle of momentum, you have to start somewhere and you have to start now. That's, that's how this works. Because if you can just get moving, it changes everything. Once it gets moving, it is, it is moving. It's the hardest part. I was going to tell you a joke about a guy who was rolling a ball up a hill, but then, you know, it lost momentum. So that's, a, that's my attempt at a math joke. Didn't really work as I kind of expected, but... You know, momentum is, is actually a really good illustration of momentum is the, have you ever seen the cartoon, you know, they roll a snowball down the hill and as the snowball is going down, it's like, oh, and they roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's picking up everything along the way and, it, you know, there's legs sticking out of it and the whole thing. It crashes at the bottom of the hill. That's a picture of momentum. 
And uh, a number of years ago, my wife Jessica and I uh, led a, a small group through um, Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. And some of you know who he is. And uh, it teaches biblical principles for how to get out of debt and to manage your resources. And one of the things that I noticed when I was going through uh, that I thought was absolutely brilliant is something that Dave Ramsey calls the debt snowball. Anybody ever heard of this? So here's the, here's the idea. Let's say, for example, uh, you've gotten yourself into debt and you have five credit cards. And I'm gonna, somebody can maybe do the math on this, but if you had a $10,000 credit card debt, $5,000, $2,500, a thousand and five hundred. I think that's nineteen thousand dollars of debt. Let's say. So you've got five cards, big ones, small ones, and they're all at ridiculously high interest rates, and you're making minimum payments. If you were doing math, you would say the smartest thing that you could do to get out of debt would be to consolidate. In other words, take all those debts and put them in one credit line at a lower interest rate, so you're not paying as much interest, and then make payments over you know two, three years and pay it off. Make sense? That mathematically makes sense. The problem with that is you didn't get yourself into debt using mathematics. You got yourself into debt using emotions, right? So you weren't like, oh, if you were doing math, you wouldn't be in debt. That's the bottom line. And so there's, there's something else at play. And so the debt snowball actually uh, uses momentum to help you get out of debt. Instead of paying off the cards and putting them in one big you know, loan with a lower interest rate, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to attack the smallest one. Oh, but pastor, shouldn't I attack the biggest one? Shouldn't I attack the one with the highest interest? No, he says, attack the smallest one. You get that $500 debt, and within three weeks, you know, you sell your dog, and you sell a few things around the house, and you, <laughs> whatever. And, and you pay that first credit card off. So now, instead of having five credit card payments, you have four. And you throw a little party, you go out for dinner, and you go, we just eliminated $500 of debt. And you celebrate, and, you, and then you have momentum. And he says, what you do is then you take the payment for that card you just paid off, and you roll it onto your next smallest. And then you put all your money, and maybe a month later you pay off that $1,000 card, and you have a little party, and you celebrate. And then you take the money from both of those cards, and you roll it on to your third biggest debt, and within you know, nine months or a year, maybe you pay it all off. And the, the point of that is that what you're doing is you're picking up what? Momentum. You're starting the snowball, and you start the snowball small, and you keep it consistent, and it grows over time and increases over time until it has a big effect. This is the principle of momentum. Momentum is true in our lives. It works in our relationships, our health. You know this, right? Uh, that when, when you make decisions about how you live, it, it all moves you in a direction. And momentum works in two directions. It goes good or bad. So you can have momentum, as we just talked about, where you put down the cheesies, and you start getting stuff done, and you, you feel the effects of momentum. But if you decided to stay on the couch, episode after episode for the whole day, I guarantee you, by the end of the day, you will feel shame. I just wasted an entire Saturday. I feel gross. I've been eating junk food. I feel like I didn't get anything done on my list, which is going to make me more stressed tomorrow. So instead of spiraling up towards something good and healthy, you're actually spiraling in the other direction towards depression and anxiety. You, you see what I'm saying? So, so momentum actually works in both directions. The hardest part is getting started. Merriam-Webster defines momentum this way. Strength or force gained by motion or a series of events. You've all seen your favorite sports team. They have no business winning, but they get on a roll and they start to build momentum. And this team that's at the bottom of the standings wins 10 games in a row. And everyone's going, that doesn't make sense statistically. Why are they winning? They have momentum. And, and what I would want for you in your journey towards generosity, um, 
that you would be able to start small and build your generosity and develop it over time and gain momentum. Because that is going to be the key to being able to live a generous uh, life. I want to show you a text that's a bit obscure, uh, especially when we're talking about finances. But I really think this is neat. In, In 1 Samuel, we get the story of David and Goliath. How many of you have heard that story? Just show hands. Okay. I'm sure everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. David is a young man, maybe even a teenager. He is relegated to the field where he is caring for the sheep for his father. And all his older brothers have went off to battle. And his father sends him some bread and cheese. You know, he's the delivery, you know, he's the Uber Eats guy. And he shows up at the battlefield and he finds his brothers. And while he's there delivering the food, he hears they got Israel on one side of a, of a, of a valley. And on the other side is the Philistine army. And out comes Goliath. He marches out. And he starts, he starts criticizing the Israelites. He's like, where's your God? Who will fight me? And he's making fun of uh, God and his people. And he's basically saying, listen, you send your best warrior and, and fight me and win or take all. And of course, nobody in Israel wants to face this massive warrior um, of, of Gath. And, and so what happens is David hears this and he's like, is nobody going to fight this guy? And everyone's like, no. He says, I'll do it. And so they're like, okay. And they bring him to Saul, the king of Israel. And Saul takes one look at him. He's like, you're not going. Here's some armor. Here's a sword. Like, no, this isn't going to work. And David says something that is so powerful. I want you to see this. Okay, this is the principle of momentum we're seeing. Okay, so let's take a look. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion, and I'm guessing David started with like jackals and, and coyotes and all those kinds of things. I'm sure they exist in Israel. But he's chasing off anything that would come for the sheep. But he, he's ended up chasing off a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. Here's what he says. I went after him and struck him and delivered the sheep out of its mouth. And if the lion or the bear arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him and killed him. That's a tough little dude. Right? Like, that's, that's awesome. And now here's what he says next. Here's, here's the conclusion he comes to. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Notice it's plural. So David's been, he's been out there doing some battle. And he says, this uncircumcised Philistine, it, it points that out because he was not one of the children of God. So this uh, uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then he goes on to say this. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He's like, I went after the lion and the bear. I struck them, but it was God who went with me and gave me victory. So he's like, I did my part and God's doing his part. And can I tell you, sometimes we're like, God, do all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, do your part and I'll do my part. And, and we meet in the middle. Okay. And so from the paw of the bear, he delivered me from the hand, and he will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. The, t- the title of my message today is, is this, build on it. Because here's what we want. We want God to do it all for us. We want it to like one day when we're prepared, we'll, we'll help other people. One day we'll volunteer. One day we'll serve. One day we'll give. But what I want to encourage you to do is to start doing something generous today, now. And once you get started, it can be the tiniest thing. Then what you're going to want to do is build on it. This is exactly what David did. And this is the point. David's like, I was out there protecting the sheep. And when something came, I chased it off and I did battle. And then a lion came and I did battle and I, and I was victorious. And then a bear came and then I was victorious. And now Goliath is just the next step in. Like, I've already got momentum. I am moving. And Goliath is just the next thing on the list. 
Because he had momentum. See, so many times we're like, God, help me to slay my Goliath. And it's like, you probably should start with the lion and the bear. Like I'm just saying. One day, you know, someone might say, someday I'm going to give away a million dollars. That's so cool. But that there are people that literally have this desire to, 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 to create wealth so they can give it away. That's just, it's mind-blowing that people think like that. And it's beautiful at the same time. But you might be like, yeah, that's me. One day I'm going to give away a million dollars. Awesome. Start with ten. Ten dollars. <laughs> Do that for a while and then make it a hundred and then maybe one day you can give a thousand at a time. Can you imagine? Thousand dollars, thousand dollars. And then maybe it's ten thousand dollars. So what are you doing? You're building momentum. See, here's an example. I could take this case and give it a shove, like just push it and it'll roll off the stage and crash on the floor. But if I back up and I get, if I really, I, my phone flew off for service, so I'm going to be careful. Put it in my pocket. If I get and I start pushing and I run and accelerate, I bet you I could get it all the way to Henry in the third row. (laughs) You're right. Why? Because I'm building momentum. And so for me as a pastor, what I want for you is not like, oh, give everything you have to the Lord. I want you to create margin, create a plan to be generous every day, every week, every year and build on it so that you're increasing and using momentum. You know, it would take way more energy for me to push it while we're push it, push it, it would be way easier for me just to slowly and consistently move it. I'm using the momentum of the object to move. That's what we're talking about here. When it comes to generosity, starting small, being consistent, increasing over time, and you leverage momentum and things begin to move. Sometimes people will be like, you know what? I need, I need to, I need to spend more time with God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend two hours a day reading my Bible and praying. And I'm just like shaking my head. No, you won't. That might last a week. There's no way you're gonna do that all year. Start with 10 minutes a day. Why? Because if you can do it for 10 minutes a day and do it consistently over a month, you'll start to build a habit. You'll start to build momentum. And then guess what? You can add five minutes and make it 15. And if you do that for another month, maybe you can go to 20. And then eventually you can up it to 24, the average length of a sitcom, right? Wouldn't that be good if we gave God that much time? And so you're And then maybe someday you'll get to an hour or two, but start small, be consistent and do it over time. And you will actually leverage momentum. It's the same thing with generosity. I'm going to give a big check. I'm going to join three small groups. I'm going to volunteer 10 hours a week at the church. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It won't last. Start small, be consistent and increase over time. That's how you build momentum. So I don't want for you to do something for a week and flame out. I want you to consistently grow in your generosity, in your love, in your time with God, in all of these areas. This, this making any sense to anybody today? I sure, I sure hope it does. This is a little statement that I said in week one that everyone can be generous because everyone has something to share. And maybe you're here today and you're like, pastor, I'm, um, I don't, I'm at my wit's end. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to share. I have no time. I have no money. And there are people in that situation. But I believe you still have something to share. Even if you had, even if you had no home, no food, you can look somebody in the eye and encourage them. You can hold the door for somebody. You can rake your neighbor's leaves. There's, there's always something we can do. And it's incredible what happens is when we, when we start, and again, it's the hardest part. Once we start moving in the direction of generosity, we start to build momentum. You know, Jesus said something that was really interesting. He said this, he said, to him who has, more will be given. So he's like, if you have, you're going to get more. 
And he's like, him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So if you don't have much, you're going to lose it. And if you have a bunch, you're going to get more. Which is kind of true. In this world, people who have a lot of money invest it and their portfolio grows. And people who are living paycheck to paycheck, they spiral into debt. So they're going in opposite directions. They're polarizing. You see, And here's a, that, that's a principle that's true. It, it works in this world. And what happens is, even if you have nothing, even if you're way down here, if you just start looking around and saying, how can I help others? What can I do today to bless someone else? That, that direction, of because generosity isn't an amount, it's a direction. And when you start moving in the direction of generosity, and you give something away, God's like, I'm going to give you more. And you give that away, and God's like, I'm going to give you more. And next thing you know, you start with just giving people words of encouragement. And maybe a decade later, you're cutting checks and volunteering hours that you could have never imagined. That's how this thing works. To him who has, more will be given. So do you have generosity? Start somewhere. Start small. Be consistent. Increase it over time and harness the power of momentum. So how do we, how do we develop generosity? Here's what I'd say to you. If you're starting out on your generosity journey, I'd say to do this. If you're uh, a ways down the road and you're already a generous person in lots of ways, I would say, here, here it is. Increase over time. Continue to stretch and do more. But start small. Be consistent, increase over time, and you'll actually reap the benefits of this thing called momentum. And it works. I assure you it works. And I want to encourage you with that. So I wanted to, let me see what we got for time. I wanted to take um, maybe 10 to 12 minutes um, to give you guys a little bit of an update on uh, our generosity journey as a church and one big project that's been sort of looming over our shoulders for quite a number of years. Um, and I want to connect it to Nehemiah's wall. So I got um, Nehemiah's wall. About, let me say, about four and a half to five years ago, we started. Um, for those that are new around here, let me give you a bit of backstory. Um, this church began uh, about 12 years ago in September of 2010. And about uh, four and a half to five years ago, we had been doing portable. So we have, if you can imagine this, these cases, I think we have 20-some of these. Some of them are this big. Some of them are 10 feet long. They're behind the curtains and up in the stage. So we have, these cases are everywhere. And so every, our whole church goes into cases and gets stored away. So we've been portable for 12 years. And around four and a half, five years ago, we knew that as our church grew, we needed a home base. We needed actual property, a place to meet. We, we can't keep doing this forever. Uh, and it's been great, but we, we knew that that was going to be the case. And so I challenged our church um, to a generosity initiative called Stretch. How many remember that? Yeah, a bunch of you are here for that. And so we, it, we invited our church to help us to raise funds for a future home. And uh, we were able to, over a two-year span, we were able to cover all of our financial needs and raise 650000 towards a future property of some sort. So we had money in the bank. We were prepared and that's a big part of, 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 of everything. We do our part, and then we, we allow God to do his part. And so then, um, nearly two years ago, um, God provided us with a, a, a property that we were able to purchase. And it's on the southern tip of the city. We have five acres, and there's an old dilapidated school on the property, which is really cool because we can use the bones of the building, and it was already zoned so that we could use it as a church without changing the zoning. So God provided that for $500,000. We had the money to just buy it, which is amazing, because we had prepared. And so we just see, we've seen how God's been sort of leading. And, and so for those that know, um, since we bought that property, is it, it's almost two years ago. That's crazy. Uh, so we bought the property, and the assumption was at the beginning that we would just fix up the inside, use the existing septic, maybe add a little bit of parking, and at least use it as an office and midweek space, if not for our church. 
But of course, as soon as we started the process, the city went, no, <laughs> you need a site plan. And so for those that aren't involved in construction, a site plan means they need to see the whole plan for the property, including drainage, gardens. We, they asked for a patch of grass for service dogs near the door, and we need like benches, and we, we need a bike rack. No one's ever going to bike to church out there, but we need a bike rack. Cause, so, they, so the city, this, <laughs> Ron's going to bike. I can see him. He's like, oh, I'm going to try that. But, but the, the point is, is like they're, they, you know, they're asking for all this stuff. So what we initially thought was like, we'll move into it, and then later we'll raise money and do all this development. They're forcing us to do it all up front, which may in the end turn into a blessing in disguise, although it's delayed the process. So we've got this property sitting there. We're still portable. We've got our stuff spread out over four different locations trying to do ministry. And, and, we've been, and so uh, this whole process, though, uh, as we've been going through the stretch campaign and then now with the building trying to get this construction going to renovate the building it has reminded me of of this nehemiah's wall because if you've ever read the story in nehemiah this this governor named nehemiah comes to jerusalem the, the capital city of israel and and jerusalem had been destroyed from a previous war the walls were in ruins there's just rubble everywhere kind of like our building right now it's just rubble everywhere and and he wants to rebuild it because he wants the people to have a home security uh, a headquarters for all that would happen in the region. And so he has this vision for it. And, and I love what he says. He says to the people, let's take a look at it. He says, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So he invites the people living in the area. He's like, hey, let's all gather together our resources, our time and our energy, and let's build something. And I have to imagine the people would, would have been excited about that, but then that excitement would have turned into fear and anxiety really quickly as they would have been like, who's building this? Oh, you are? We are? Who's paying for this? We are? How's, how does this work? And so there would have been a lot of, a lot of fear. They would have been like, we're, someone's going to stop us. And so here's what he does. He says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. He begins to tell them the story. He said, hey guys, let me tell you something. God has been at work many months ago I spoke to the king of Babylon and he gave us permission and he sent resources and God has been at work long before we even thought of this to help us complete and also of the words that the king had spoken to me and they said, let us rise up and build so they strengthen their hands for the good work. So he reminded them, God's been involved, we're going to do this and the people rallied together and that's really been our story as a church, rallying together to raise money. Now we're rallying together trying to push this project forward. And, um, and the scope of the project. Let me just give you an idea of the scope of their project. Here it is. The scope of the project for them. The walls of the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day were four kilometers in length. That's a long. Four stories high, roughly 40 feet in height, 12 to 15 feet thick of stone, 34 watchtowers, 10 gates. That's a lot of stones. That's a lot of building. That's a big project. Uh, they actually uncovered uh, in recent times, a, this is a portion of Nehemiah's wall. They found it under an old uh, tower and they took it down. And there's Nehemiah's wall 2,500 years ago. It, there's a person standing up there. It gives you an idea of the scope of this. Imagine a wall like that, four kilometers long. That's a daunting task. Hey guys, want to build something? Wow, the scope. But guess what? The people are able to do it. And here's why. The wall is built when everyone participates. This is what I love about the story of Nehemiah. It's so encouraging to me as a leader trying to do a big project of our own. 
is that everybody got involved. I want to share a few scriptures. If you ever read Nehemiah 3, it has the list of everyone who was part of the project, which is cool. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. The first people to get their hands dirty and get some calluses going are the high priests. And the spiritual leaders are the first ones to get their hands dirty. I love that as a pastor. I want to be the first guy on the job site swinging a hammer. Why? Because I want to participate and I want to lead. And this is what they did. Now notice this in the next passage in verse 8. It says, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Now the goldsmiths in those days, that was a fine craft. These are the artisans. Can you imagine a painter building a wall? But hey, the artisans got involved. The perfumers I'm sure these guys did not have calluses, okay? But the perfumers, they got involved. They started building a section of the wall. Then Raphiah, the son of Ur, the ruler of half the district. you got people who are powerful building the wall, which I think is so cool. It's not, you minions, build the wall for me. No, they get involved. It was amazing to me when we were uh, doing demolition at our building uh, many months back. It was interesting to me to see some of the people who have given massive amounts of money, like moved our project forward uh, through our campaign. Large donors were also showing up covered in filth, working with their hands. And I thought, wow, that's a heart of generosity. And it doesn't matter how much you have, you can, you can have a heart of generosity. And to see that was so encouraging to me. So you got the ruler there. And then it says, Shalem, the son of Halohesh. Hope I'm getting that right. Sorry, Halohesh, if I got it wrong. Ruler of half the district of Jerusalem repaired he and his daughters. I mean, everyone's involved. Everyone's involved in this thing. Families are involved. And as the work progressed, we actually discovered that like some groups uh, took big portions of the wall, like huge areas, and some people just built a little piece of the wall. And some people got their stuff done early and went and helped other people. Everyone just was all in. And, and those who couldn't work were cooking and cleaning and helping. And it was just like this really, it's amazing to see the community, everyone doing what they can. Again, everyone can be generous because everyone has something to share. It's not about how much. It's about the fact that you're involved in generosity. And so to see that is so cool. So the wall is built when everyone participates. And then the wall is built when God provides outside help. Now, as you might imagine, over the last four and a half years, uh, people within our church community, part of the Pathway Family, have given generously some small amounts as they're able. Others, large amounts, large checks, $100,000 checks, $50,000 checks, $40,000 checks have come in for this project from people who are able to do that. So that's amazing. But I want to talk about outside help because one of the things that's encouraged me as we've been working through this whole thing is seeing how God has provided outside help. There are people who will never use our church building who have given so much to it. For example, one gentleman who will remain unnamed uh, when he heard about the project a couple years ago doesn't live in the province of Ontario, (laughs) donated $100,000 to the project and lent us, I think, $250,000 with zero interest. Like, Just, I believe in it and investing outside. Now, this happened to Nehemiah too, which is why I love this story. Because when Nehemiah was building his wall, there were rulers from around the area that sent resources and people, even though it wasn't their city. On top of that, we had like FCI windows donated all the windows for the front of the building. That's awesome, right? And then uh, we've had all kinds of other gifts and donations. Selwyn Church sent us $30,000 towards the building project. This week, um, I was sitting in my office. Uh, it was late on, I think it was Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember which day. But it was like 4.30. I was kind of getting ready to pack it up and head home. And the phone ring, the office phone. Now, I don't normally answer the office phone. You never know who's calling. I saw a name I didn't recognize. I picked it up. 
Turns out it was someone from Kingdom Timber Mart. So it's a local business in the area. And they said, hey, we heard about your project. And we want to set up a, a credit account. We want to give $20,000 towards the materials for your project. And so it's like, it's incredible to me to see, and this keeps happening time and time again, that people let us know that they believe in what we're doing. And they'll never use the building. They'll never be part of it. But they see, and so th- that's so encouraging to me because it's a reminder that God is at work. It's a reminder that this thing will be completed. And so again, when, when I find out that something's gone up or we find out that there's a delay, it's like, oh, we're never going to get this done. Oh, we're never going to be able to finish. And then I get these little reminders and it's, it's so encouraging to me. And I want to encourage you with it. The wall is also built despite opposition. Okay, if you've read the story, you know that Nehemiah is organizing the people. The wall is getting built and the whole time there's these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. And they are trying to stop the project. They're trying politically. They're trying with armies. They're trying everything to stop it. And there have been moments where I felt like calling the city of Peterborough Sanballat, but I haven't um, because it's not, it's not personal. It's not them. Um, our, our site plan has been 10 months going back and forth, and that's frustrating. But in the end, we know that we know once we start construction, which I'm going to give you an update in a moment, we know that when we start construction, we're going to dig up something. There's going to be an issue. There's going to be extra. We will. That's just going to happen. But we just need to be reminded that in spite of all that, God's at work. We're looking back at five years of God's faithfulness, right? Through donations, through volunteers, through all of these incredible answers to prayer. And so we just know that in spite of whatever is going to happen, that, that this thing is going to be completed. And it is eventually completed and it's done. I think this is important brick by brick. The, the people build the wall on the foundations that were currently there. They take resources, stones that were there, and they rebuild the wall with it, and they do it brick by brick. And as a church, we are growing in our generosity, and we're growing and moving this project forward, and we're doing it brick by brick. Like, it would be amazing if somebody just gave us the money to complete the project and everything's you know, done in a day, but that's, that's not the reality. The, the reality is God is going to have us build it together brick by brick with everyone doing their part. So let me give you a little bit of an update. Uh, as I said, we've been 10 months waiting for the site plan to be approved. All our building permits are already approved. So we're ready to start once the site plan is done. Uh, the architect uh, that we've employed that's been managing this whole thing has told us that we're really close, like within a few weeks or so of getting this done. He's so confident that he's told our construction company, get started which is awesome. So um, they're starting to ramp up and uh, we don't have a set date for, but uh, we met, Todd and I got to meet on Thursday, our new uh, supervisor for the site. So he's ramping everything up, putting an office in the building and starting to hire trades and get finalized quotes. And so we're really excited because we know that it means we're actually going to be starting. And so within, I don't know, maybe three, four, five weeks, crews will roll in, stuff will start happening. The goal I'll tell you the goal, no guarantees, but the goal is that they would get the septic installed before winter and the roof on the building, which means then they can continue to work through the winter and, uh, and get this project complete. So we don't know, we don't know how long, we don't know all the details, but we're excited that it's moving. We're excited that there's a plan in place. And uh, again, for me, as I look to all the unknowns, as we head forward, I'm looking back at the faithfulness of God. Um, I wanted to let you know... Um, because things are going to ramp up quickly, and once it starts, it's going to go, and it's going to go really quick, uh, there will be opportunities to volunteer. So if you, if you want to come on a Saturday, or even if you have time during the week and want to go in and support the crews, uh, there will be some opportunities for that. Um, you can go to pathwaylife.com slash building. There's a form. You can let us know. 
and we'll keep in contact with you. Um, we'll probably do another one last demo and cleaning day in the, in the next few weeks just to prepare the building for the cruise. And then uh, once the project starts, there'll be all kinds of little jobs here and there, painting, pulling wires, uh, maybe laying carpet at some point, final clean when the building's done. And then all, in the spring, there'll be like gardens and all that stuff. So there's tons of opportunity for anyone to be involved who wants to. And so I just wanted to let you know, <laughs> our goal is just to, to continue to build on it. Um, what God has started and, and what we see happening, we're going to continue to move forward. So I'm excited to share that with you. Um, stuff's starting to happen. Uh, when Nehemiah, when they finally got the project going, I, I, I thought this was pretty cool. They actually finished the project in 52 days. That's cool. And I thought to myself, wouldn't that be cool if we could finish this project in 52 days? <laughs> we'll call it Project 52. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my secret prayer and project name for this. Like Project 52 work days. That would be like about 11 weeks. But I don't know if that's possible, but that would be something we could pray about. And it would be really, really awesome uh, to see once it starts that it's rolling. And uh, one day, okay, here's the good news. One day, and it is coming, we're going to be able to control the temperature in our own building. Right? Because like, yeah, I'm telling you, we, we love being here, but like it's sometimes it's really hot. Sometimes it's really cold. And, you, and even at our offices, like the air conditioner broke this summer and then the furnace wasn't on this fall. And we're just always like, come on, we're pushing that little dials on the thermostat. Nothing happens. So someday when we get into our building, I think our, our worship team is going to stand around the thermometer. We're going to sing praises to God as we <laughs> dial it into exactly what that would be. Just it's the little things in life that you got to look forward to. Right. So. God's been faithful, and we're so thankful to, to Rama and, and all our other partners that have helped us to do ministry all these years. So let me pray for us, and then Jess will come and close us out. Father, as we close out this series on generosity, may we continue the work of becoming more generous. Help us today, Lord, as we go from this place, to, to find the little things around us, the good works that we can do, the ways that we can help and share what we have with others. Lord, it's not the amount, it's the direction. And God, we know that you're not after our money, you're after our heart. So help us have hearts for you and hearts for those around us that we might give as we're able, that we might create margin in our, in, our, in our calendars and margin in our finances to be able to be and to be ready to share. Help us to have this heart and to grow as individuals and as a church more generous so that we might be more like you, our generous God. Thank you for all you've done for us and, and, and thank you for all that you have been doing and we look forward to what is ahead and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.